For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back, sports fans, to another episode of the Charity Strike Podcast, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one sports podcast network in Los Angeles. For those listening at home, on the road, in the air, or in the water, do you believe? We have a great show for you guys today. A.J. Schnock, the director of Long Gone Summer, the 30 for 30, documenting Sosa versus McGuire on the home run chase to beat Roger Maris' 61 record in the summer of 98, joins the boys to talk a documentary and a whole lot more. So buckle up, tuck it into your waistband, because here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. We sitting here, I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History final. Tie Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. Charity Stripe, pitcher free throws, cause they're free. So 249 coming hot at you guys, and so 248. And as you heard in the introduction, we have a great show with AJ Schnock, the director of Long Gone Summer. He's hopping on with Toss and I. It's a great one. We're super stoked for you guys to hear it. And so without further ado, enough dilly dallying. Let's get into the show with AJ Schnock. Enjoy. You heard it in the introduction, guys. We have director A.J. Schnock. You just watched Long Gone Summer, 30 for 30, ESPN. And I'm always excited for a guest, but you're the first guest, A.J., that I actually have a bone to pick with because the way you directed that thing, you almost changed my mind on the steroid era. You were really cl- like I am. You could ask Alex, anybody that listens to this show knows that I'm the kind of guy that I, if you took steroids, you're out. I don't want nothing to do with you. The records don't count. But Alex and I were just talking about it before. The way you humanize these guys was was admirable, I have to say. And I'm curious to see, are there other people reacting like me? Has that been a reaction? Are you surprised by that reaction? Or was that something you were intending when you were making the film? A few people have told me that. I mean, there's definitely people who are, you know, it's just made them more mad, you know? <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're just like still, you know... F those guys because, you know, what what they did and they ruined baseball. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's to me, it's just a funny, um, it's such a hard thing to wrap your brain around because, so you know, with hard. the steroid era, we just aren't, there's so much we will never know. You know, it's, we'll never know, like, how many people were doing it, who was doing it, what pitchers were doing it. You know, you start looking at, you know, individual, like, showdowns between a pitcher and a hitter and, like, who knows who, which or both or neither and we don't really know like what steroids can do. I mean, we have, there've been some scientific studies that give us some idea of what the percentages are in terms of how far, much farther a baseball can be hit or how much faster you can throw it. Um, but it's, it's, it's like this weird era that we will always have a ton of questions around. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's unfortunate that the players, to me, it's unfortunate that the players have, have, born most of the brunt of the anger over over that era when it, it seems like you could if you want to blame people you could certainly have a lot of blame to pass around 
Interesting. I mean, it, there's a level of pressure, and you see that. You see that mainly with McGuire. Sosa's still pretty jovial, which we were kids. Like, I was four years old, and so was Toss when this was made, when, the, when that went down. And so I kind of have, like, a vague memory of it, but it's mainly me looking at baseball reference and going, okay, he hit 70, he hit 66, the record was 61, they broke it. You know, mm-hmm. but Sosa, you, you you don't remember that Sosa was so jovial, and he still is that guy. But McGuire, you really see, like, such a timid kind of guy, and you could really kind of see how it got him and that pressure, you know, to perform. Were you surprised by that, or did you kind of have that go? Did you kind of know who these guys were going in? Was, was there a heads I mean, up? I, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew their their personalities. I mean, I think if, if you look at McGuire in particular, um, his, his coaching career, you know, his second act in baseball, he coached for the Cardinals, Dodgers, and Padres from, you know, 2011 uh, up until uh, 2019. And you never heard about him. I mean, he, he, it was actually difficult to find photos of him as a coach during that era. And it, that to me is like, okay, so that's what he, that, that is if he had his druthers, how he would like to have his baseball life is just put his head down, be around the game, teach people, do his thing. The kid's like the ball an incredibly long way and everybody wants to ask him, well, how often are you gonna do that? Are you gonna keep doing it? Are you gonna hit these records? He values baseball as a team game, as a team sport, and doesn't like the fact that he was the individual kind of put forward. So there's a little bit of, of dread and shyness, you know, to, to all of his, his playing career. And then you had, um, you know, uh, Sosa, who was just having the time of his life. Yeah. And it's it's- so it, to me, it's like the thing that was so starkly different between the two and, and you captured it so, so well was that like, they're, they're hitting the same amount of home runs and, and Sosa just has none of those pressures. I, I have to think that some of it has to do with where he's from too. And that McGuire is an American guy. Um, it was just a really awesome doc. I think one thing that I obviously like, you know, about Maguire's power growing up, like Josh and I with our age and stuff like that, but you, you know, less about their personalities and, and you can see even now that some of the pressures that are involved when Marcus, even in front of the camera, I mean, was that something that just like getting him to open up and getting him to talk about it? How, how was that? How did you go about doing that? Mm-hmm. It, it took a while of uh, just talking to him in advance. I, I met with him twice. He's down in Southern California uh, as I am. And, and so we met up in person without cameras, just kind of talking about what I wanted to do, what, you know, whether he'd be comfortable with what I was asking for, which was, you know, sitting down for lengthy <laughs> periods of time, which is something he just does not do. Um, and uh, to do it more than once and for every question to be op- you know, it was an open season in terms of what questions I could ask. So it took, uh, I think a year, uh, just kind of to get him comfortable with that idea while I was also pursuing, uh, Sosa. And, you know, when he came and, and sat down in the interview, he started talking and, and telling me stuff that I'd you know, done a bunch of research, stuff I'd never heard before. So right away I was pretty much like, oh, he's, he's really doing it. Like he's, he's here to, to do what I hoped he would do or what I asked him to do. So, you know, that was, that was really great. Ultimately. I mean, you talked about the, um, you know, just the, the race itself. If you look at just the race itself, one of the things that's so amazing about it is that people were talking about the record before the season even started. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, we don't talk about these things until the all-star break or, or much later in the year when it seems like, okay, the person is on pace. It makes sense that they might actually be able to do this. Um, but that was, you know, the questions for both McGuire and Ken Griffey Jr. were coming in spring training you know, is this the year? In part because it was an expansion year. So they knew that pitching talent pool was going to be a little bit weaker. Um, some of the, some ballparks, including Bush Stadium, had been reconfigured to make them a little bit friendlier to, uh, to hitters. Mm-hmm. So there were good reasons to, to think it might be that year, but it was very unusual for there to be all that kind of pressure on uh, McGuire and Griffey. Um, None of that pressure, of course, on Sosa. And even when he, you know, gets uh, to the place where he's running even with Griffey and then catching up to McGuire, never feels sort of the same level of pressure um, to actually be the one to break it or to hold it at the end of the year. And that's why I think he was having more fun. 
because there was nobody. It was unexpected. You didn't like you knew Sosa was good, and obviously he goes on to crank like sixty two more times, which is just nuts, you know. But yeah. there's no pressure. No one's expecting Slam and Sammy Sosa to to compete with those two guys now. Griffey, he wasn't in the dock as much. Was he? Was that an angle you wanted to take, or you kind of avoided that, or he just kind of doesn't want to associate necessarily? Yeah, I mean, he. Um, we reached out, and I would have loved to have, you know, talked to him and, and found out what it was like from his perspective. And also, you know, we had a bunch of people in Seattle. We went into interviews like, what is, the, you know, what was that like? What did people in Seattle get excited about it in the way that, um, you know, people in St. Louis were, and then later in Chicago. Um, you know, I think he was beginning production. There's an MLB uh, doc about him that I think it's going to come out this weekend. Oh, so cool. yeah. he was beginning production on that and probably felt like, you know what, if I got my own, <laughs> if I got my own real estate going, I, I don't need to be the third wheel yeah. uh, in this story again. I've already, <laughs> already played that once. And, it's, and in truth, because we were limited, we had two hours and we couldn't go over. Um, it would have been tough to, to fit in his story um, and, and done it justice, I think. Yeah, totally, man. And I gotta when you're what was your main goal going into it? Like you're going into this documentary. How do you even come about it? Because your other stuff is you're all across the board. You're Kurt Cobain to politics and now to the home run chase, which is my mind goes in those places a lot of the time when I'm watching CNN, listening to music and watching baseball. But I go I don't think I can make a document documentary about all three different categories. So kinda how'd you fall into it and what was your main goal going into it? I just, you know, I had great memories of that summer. I grew up outside of St. Louis, got a lot of Cubs fans in my extended family. Yeah. Um, so the rivalry is a big part of my sports uh, memories, uh, you know, going to games, listening to games with my dad, were big sports memories. Um, is your dad so a Cubs when fan? I, no, dad was a Cardinals fan, although he did grow up and go to school in Chicago. Nice. Um, so you're, you're but, a good son. I'm a... I'm a Patriots <laughs> fan. My dad's a Jets fan, and his dad's a Patriots fan. So it skipped a generation. It's war of the world yeah. in our house. It happens. I think yeah. baseball, though, is more of a thing where you like it is a kind of passed down, you know, parent to, to children, the traditions and the and the you know allegiances. I, sc- I screwed him there too. I'm a Sox fan. I, <laughs> I blew it across the board. Go. I'm a disappointment. Um, but yeah, so your family, Cubs, Cardinals, it was with you as a kid. We're growing up. Yeah, and and just like so, when that summer happened, I'd moved out to LA. By that point, I was working in film, and um, you know, kind of fell away from baseball a little bit, a little bit because of the strike. Hadn't been quite able to embrace the Dodgers yet. Um, so uh, when that happened, and it was involving these two teams that were, you know, all part of my childhood. Everything about that summer just kind of took me back uh, to what I grew up with, and it was exciting. Um, it was emotional. Uh, so, you know, all these years later, when when I started talking to ESPN about doing a film with them, you know, this is obviously something in my head, but I, I just had to assume there was a big reason why they'd never done it because yeah. it was such an obvious story for, for the 30 for 30 brand. And I, I think in part, it was just that they could never get all the, the, the players. They couldn't get Sosa McGuire. They couldn't get the Cardinals, the Cubs and Major League Baseball all to just go like, yes, this is. The concept this is the filmmaker we want to do the film with and from a fan's perspective we forget about a lot mm-hmm. just like the importance of mentors in sports i was really i was really moved by tony la Russa's relationship that was a great with, aspect man that was cool with 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 mark um and just kind of like the shepherding that he did There's not many other sports, sports like in basketball steph curry breaks the three-point record but at the beginning of the season no one is paying attention to that right no one's no one's putting the pressure on Steph Curry to do that. They want they want to win the, the NBA championship, and mm-hmm. for Larusa to be aware of that, I mean, just shows. I mean, there's a reason why he was a, a GM for so long, right? Um, it's just it was it was really cool. I, I loved that angle, and I loved kind of hearing him talk about about Mark. And so, yeah, kudos on that. I think that that's something that we see a lot, and hopefully, we see more of that. Like, who are the people? that are molding these athletes and, and in their ear and, and kind of what are they listening to? Who are they sponging with, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in their, in their growth? Yeah. I mean, Larissa, uh, we, that was a crazy interview. We, we thought we were only going to get 45 minutes with him. And so, you know, you have so much you want to talk about. This is a guy who was with Mark for all but about a year of his playing career and then brings him back as a coach. 
um, and is, you know has him coach with him. So that this is a you know it was a unique scenario that that Mark played not just for Larusa but Tony, uh, but Dave McKay and a bunch of the other like A's people, Walt Jockety, who go yeah. over the Cardinals together. Um, you know that they have this long relationship where people can talk to us both about Mark's time with the A's, which is its own crazy history and story, as well as when he comes to to the Cardinals. But um, yeah, we thought we were going to have 45 minutes and ended up talking to Tony for like three hours. Do you and do it, it all was, in one session? Uh, it was all in one session. Yeah. I mean, we, wow. we, that was, we went to Rhode Island. He was working with the Red Sox at the time and they have a yeah. minor league team uh, there. Yeah, in Pawtucket. So uh, we did it at that stadium uh, on like early one morning. The background was nice. I noticed that. I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right. Was, he did have a very nice background. Like, nice job, AJ. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So we didn't know like how much we'd get, and then uh, it was just he, we just kept talking, and um, so that was that was a really great interview. Yeah, that's great. Did you, now, did you want to? You didn't touch on the steroids that much, which is great. Was that? Was that? Did you know that you were going to do that going in? Did you really want to focus on that single season? I mean, because obviously everyone's expecting it, so you kind of have to, you know, linger it in, and you did at the end. Um, but was that like, a, was that the main goal? Was that a main goal of yours to kind of really avoid that into the end and really just focus on that one season? It was. I mean, it was the goal was to cro- do a chronological story yeah. and to really get you back in it mm-hmm. to the extent that you can kind of strip away. Um, the framing of the steroid era as much as you can. And for some people, they'll never be able to strip it away. It's like the first second they see one of those balls go into the upper deck, they're like, you know, roids, <laughs> mad. Um, but the, uh, the, the situation I think that was um, interesting to me was, you know, can we put you back if you experienced it at the time or if you didn't and show you just how crazy that season was and how it became something that was bigger than baseball, um, bigger than sports, really touched all aspects of the culture. Um, and then, of course, you know, we have to have this. I look at the, the final act as like kind of the sad epilogue where, um, you know, after you've seen something that made so many people so happy. Uh, you know, has just this kind of trail afterwards that that is filled with you know these guys kind of not getting you know the the happiness that they gave. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, to the extent with steroids in the third act, in the middle of the film, we spend a good deal of time talking about uh, when the Anderson Dione is is uh, written about in, in Mark's locker and the use of supplements uh, in baseball and how baseball has become more of a gym culture and a, a culture around building up your muscles and working out to me, those two things, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. Um, all of the th- things that were happening with the supplements, the kind of blind eye that baseball was turning to them, not wanting to really know what people were doing. Um, and the reasons why people were doing the supplements are all the same th- things that were going on with steroids. Uh, one of them just happened to be uh, illegal in in the country against the country's laws, and the other ones were involving legal supplements, um, even if uh, they were not necessarily approved in other sports. Yeah, that was like there's like listen, there's certain guys like on the Balco report, you know, like Chef Palmero and, and A Rod, like they're juicing, but a guy like McGuire, it's in his locker, like it's in he doesn't he doesn't know he doesn't really think of it, you know, and he's just using it to recover because I mean that's the crazy thing. About and you did a, you did a nice job of this man because you see Griffey Jr. Even though he's not in the dock, but you did a nice job, you know, doing having his kind of third line in there. You really see how hard Maris's record is, and it's not the home runs are not a strength thing; it's an endurance thing. Griffey tapered off, and you see how many times we see like some you know schlub crank. Not to say schlub, I mean these guys are pros, but you know some like guy that we don't know. I can remember like years ago, Chris Shelton Tigers. No one's gonna know who that is really. Hit 10 home runs in April. Everyone's like, he's going to break the record. Didn't hit, he had like two more the rest of the year. Guys catch up yeah. and they taper off. And the endurance of these guys, and McGuire's just doing it to stay healthy and to stay, you know, and it's unfortunate. I mean, you looked at Bellinger last year, you know, and the Dodgers were so exciting to watch and Cody was so, like, exciting to watch. And, you know, as you went along, you're like, well, I don't know, maybe he's like, he's hitting pretty well. He's, he's, he's on a pace. Then, then when he slows down, it, come August and September, it's not that he's like doing poorly. 
you know? I mean, he's still, he's still doing great, but it's just like you hit, hit a point, you hit a wall of, of being able to do it. And I think there's a mental thing as well when people start like putting the pressure, like, why aren't you hitting home runs? And Sosa talks about, you know, why the pressure was on Mark, you know, that if he, if he didn't hit a home run, it would be like, well, Sosa hit a home run. Why didn't you hit a home run? You know, I mean, that kind of uh, the questioning from the media and, and, you know, just the expectations that you put on yourself to perform, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people are, are start to fade come come August and September. And, you know, by start saying starting to fade, it could be just meaning that you hit five instead of 10, which is not a, a poor performance. It's just not going to keep you on that on that pace. On that ridiculous, ridiculous pace. Did yeah. they tell you what did they any? Is there anything that, you know, kind of that surprised you that they said like Sosa and Maguire that you didn't really expect I know you said earlier that Mark there was a couple things you'd researched and Maguire hit you kind of blindsided you go oh wow he's like really into it and he's going to really delve into it like someone what were some of the most surprising things for you hearing those two speak I mean from Maguire I had never heard him talk about being in therapy before I knew that he had had like um you know really strong mental focus and that that was a big part of why he was able to kind of stay in it uh, in like 97, 98, 99, um, as opposed to in his rookie year when, you know, he felt all those pressures and, and wasn't quite ready to, to bear up to them yet. Um, so that was, that was one thing I, I was surprised about. Um, I was surprised about him writing down uh, yeah. a, a list of things he wanted to do in a season. Mark that, was, I, that came up and I was like, how did you even get on that topic? Like what a, we talk about like something that, you know, mental psychology, that's something that we talk about today. If the doc 15 years had to happen 15 years ago, maybe he wouldn't have opened up about that he, that he went to therapy. And also like, you know, people are all big on affirmations now, right? It's like, you write down what you're going to be, you write down what you're going to do for him to be doing that back then. It's really, really, that's like good mental psychology practice, which is like, yeah, talk a little bit about that. Sorry. I just no, yeah, no yeah, no, I mean, he really does think that he's like one of the first people to like really practice those things in, in the sport. Um, and yeah, he, you know, him saying that he wrote down um, what he needed to do, what he expected of himself. Um, that was something that, you know, when I asked Larusa about it, Larusa said, you know, I'm as close to him as anyone. And I didn't know he did that. Um, you know, but that is a, a, is sort of a clue to, uh, what he expected and was trying to do. Whereas just in terms of when he would talk to people, he would always say, um, I'm not trying to do it. It's, you know, if it happens, it happens, you know, which, you know, we now find out, you know, in, in truth, he really did want it. He did think it was possible. He knew it was an expansion year. And if it was going to happen, that would probably be the year to do it. Um, and he was focused on actually achieving that record. I'd never heard him admit before that uh, he started that season with the intention of breaking the record. Which is a great tidbit. Yeah. And then, I mean, we had a guy on the, was it Pomerantz we had on the show two weeks ago? I was about to bring that up. We had Drew Pomerantz on the show and he was talking about kind of just what he does year in, year out and how setting goals for him. It's something that one of his coaches, I think, Randy, maybe it was the, Randy Wolf. Was it? Was it Randy? Yeah, yeah. It was Randy Wolf who had told him that that's he may what he have played with Maguire. Year. I don't know off the top of my head. He's been on so many teams. I feel like he has. I mean, maybe they, they got passed from Maguire to Wolf to Pomerantz. Yeah, <laughs> like they crossed in the Padres somehow. I don't know. I'm not, I, my nerd level is not going is not off the radar right now in that in that regard. <laughs> but it's crazy that Pomerantz did that, you know. And I, I'm curious to see how many other athletes do that and really, you know, because we, we we the pressure we put on these guys to be team oriented rings championships it starts with michael jordan it goes to tom brady you know and it goes to jeter and it goes to like the best guys in the sport win baseball you could kind of get away with it like ken griffey jr doesn't have one he's still regarded as one of the goats you know but even pool holes it was like a big deal for him to get a ring and mm -hmm. but it's crazy to you know hear and it's I, th I think as i've gotten older i'm like all right good for them for wanting to because i know i have my own personal goals and there's no poo poo in having an athlete having their own individual goals as well so that's that, that's nice to hear and it's crazy that no he had never shared that before yeah, I so I definitely when you know when I was younger, baseball was a sport that while I was playing, I was paying a lot more attention. I'm from Dallas, so I'm a, I'm a Rangers fan, um, and so you know we had some rough times growing up, and then we Steroid we hit a nice we hit a, world in baseball. Man. We well we yeah, or just the capital of bringing a guy up through the farm, having him have one good year, and then shipping him off to somewhere else. But I you know 
a lot of people are talking right now about, you know, as basketball becomes such a big thing in the media and there's so much hype around it, especially for the younger generation, that baseball is getting lost, right? And that even with everything that's happening, with the amount of home runs that people are hitting, I mean, you could look at a guy like Pete Alonso last year, right? Like what he did was incredible. And and you you look back at, at the Sosa Maguire, what they were doing for the sport at the time, what do you think is something that could change kind of young kids' approach to baseball and bringing people back to the sport like like they were gravitating towards it, you know, in 98 with this home run race? You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's a big question. I know. But yeah, I think the, the thing I, I just, you know, I just, I, I would really like it if everybody who was responsible for a team or for the league um, was doing everything they were doing out of an innate love, a passionate love of the game and why they love the game, why they like to watch a game on TV, why they like to hear it on the radio why they want you know, to be in the stands uh, on a hot summer you know, evening. Um, I, you know, I, I, just, I look at some of the things that have happened over the last you know, decade, and I mean, here in Los Angeles, you know, I, I've, I've come to really love the Dodgers and you know, the fact that we've, we're just now, after years, figuring out how people might be able to watch their games without you know, buying into one specific cable channel uh, is just nuts to me. Like it, it used to be that the games were always available on some free TV, you know, channel. You could watch, you could listen. You know, um, sure there'd be the occasional blackout date, but the notion that that we have um, basically we're just trying to commodify every single aspect, and it's not just about like you know how much we we love or care about the game. And I think that that is. Um, when you take a sport like baseball, which is really about, it's not about like, you know, the flashiness of baseball or I mean, of basketball or, you know, the excitement of a football drive, you know, it's, it's, it's about being there. It's about having a beer. It's about hanging out with your friends. It's about like having a scorecard. It's about like knowing you're going to spend three hours in that atmosphere. Um, it's a commitment. You know, it's a fun commitment. Yeah, but it's a commitment. Yeah, a fun commitment. It's a night out or an afternoon out. You know, um, and that's. I just feel like we've um, a lot of decisions have been made over the past decade that don't come from that place. They just think it's about like, well, how can we tweak this to make some money in the, in the margins? And I, I just don't know how how that is successful long term. It's old money versus new money is my theory. The guys that own. And this is not me. I know I know a couple people. This is, you know, whatever. Fugues about that, me knowing anybody. But from what I've seen close up, and nothing against the owners, they're just old money people. So they're looking at it as a, like a business versus Steve Ballmer, who owns the Clippers. He's got all the money in the world. And he's like, all right, this is cool, man. I own a basketball team. Let's, let's have some fun. You know, and this is, it's yeah. like, it's a hobby for him. And it's, there's, and there's, it's all about the love for the game. And the thing that, what, what struck me with your documentary, man, was, in 98, it was a superstar-driven league. People were excited about baseball in June, and no one's excited about baseball in June anymore. It was a superstar-driven league. It was Sosa. It was Griffey. Mike Trout is the best player ever playing in Los Angeles. Jacob deGrom is a back-to-back Cy Young winner playing in New York. You have the two best at either on pitching and hitting playing in two of the biggest markets, and what's the big story? The Astros cheated two years ago. It's just they don't do a good job controlling, and you're you're a narrative controller, and they don't do a good job controlling the narrative. Yeah, I mean, you think of all the one name, you know, superstars of that era who we knew and and who people tuned in on, and uh, yeah, I don't think base, baseball hasn't done a good job of of like telling us, you know, tell. I mean, not. I mean, there are those of us who like maybe we follow baseball a lot or we were just so obsessed with our own team and we know everybody that they're going to play but maybe we don't know what's going on in the other league as much or you know maybe we're only focused on what our our team is doing or we're just watching the occasional game they've done nothing i think to to help us understand like if you don't play mike trout like do you know who he is if you're like you know you know in the chicago cubs and you're not like a huge baseball fan um i I just that, that to me is like a we're not telling the story of baseball very well. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, if I'm, if I'm growing up in Dallas right now, 
I want to go to a Mavs game when they're playing LeBron James. You know, I want to go to that game because I want to go see greatness. And that's something, you know, which in your documentary you talked about where, where if they're going on a road game, you know, McGuire goes to, goes to uh, Florida and puts on the performance of a lifetime in no that one goes, series. No one ever goes to those games and people were and packed. <laughs> and they're running across the tarps. I mean, that was like that image <laughs> just popped out to me. too, man. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I was like, shit, I don't know if people ever went to that, even when they won the World Series. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I, I, I could see that guy. I could see him hit a home run a million times, and every single time I would still be amazed. My jaw would drop to the floor because it happens every single time. The guy's power, whether you bring up steroids or not, I mean, it's just it's, – it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, he, as he said, he can hit a ball a long, long way. I mean, like, where, <laughs> where those balls went sometimes, they're just, you know, they're insane. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, Griffey had a, one of the sweetest swings in, in, ever, and Sosa's ability to go the opposite way. I mean, it was a, it was a special time to be watching baseball. For sure. Oh, yeah. I pray to God every night my future wife looks like Ken Griffey Jr. swing. Like I get on my, <laughs> that's my, my big wish. I hate to be shallow, but that's just a matter of fact. When you, when you get in the room, cause this is, cause we inter we interview guys. Yeah. I mean, we interview, obviously we, we try to delve in cause we're in Los Angeles. So we'll spread around, go producers, actors. We, we, we do keep it in the sports realm. And I remember we interviewed our first NFL player as quarterback and he walked into our studio and I was like, holy shit, this guy, I get it. Was it like that with McGuire? Did you, you kind of, the minute he walked in, were you like, wow, I could see how this guy could crank a lot of home runs in Sosa too? Or were you like, because I remember I've also seen guys even like, wait a second, you're the starting running back for that team? Like Dev Singletary toss. Remember when he was walking by? I was like, Damn. yeah. How about, uh, how about Aaron Donald? I mean, that guy's, yeah. obviously he's, he's built like a house, but he's not nearly as tall as I thought he was going to be. AJ, he was short. If you've never seen him in real life, he was not like me and my cowboy boots was like stacking up next to him real good, man. Uh, For real. Wow. You, was there a level of surprise with Sosa McGuire or did you, could you kind of tell, even though they're a bit older? Yeah. I mean, I had, cause I had spent a little time with him before we sat down with cameras. I, I kind of knew what to expect. Uh, I think, you know, the thing with, uh, Sammy was, you know, when I met him, he came out and he had written down a list of questions for me and just kind of went down the list just so he understood everything he wanted to know and didn't forget anything in terms of like what I wanted to do or, mm -hmm. you know, what the film was going to be. Um, and it was pretty, it was, a, it was fairly low key. It wasn't, um, um, I mean, it was a good talk, but, I, you know, I didn't feel like he was, you know, show, showboaty in any way or like, you know, uh, it was just kind of direct and asking me questions, kind of, kind of, I wouldn't say soft-spoken, but, you know, um, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anything like big. Uh, and then when we got in to do the interview, he walked in and, and it's the, the interview where you see where he says that I'm ready for the fight. And, you know, there's that beautiful painting of his family behind him and mm -hmm. he's wearing this blue, blue suit. Uh, he just came in and he was like... It was he was then he was Sammy, you know, and he was uh, kind of dancing in his chair, and uh, I, I was like, oh, this is interesting because I had met him in that it's in, it's in his house. I had met him in the same living room, and to see the difference between the person who came out with his list of questions uh, and the person who was ready to be in the show um, was that was really really interesting. Yeah, that's great. And I now knowing these guys, do you think it's bla a? Do you think it's blasphemous that the Cubs? won't let like have cut off all ties knowing these guys now i mean i know listen i know what he did was wrong and i'm sure he does even though he's really not said it yet i know what he what he's done is wrong um so do you think it's kind of blasphemous though that they you don't have listen i'm not saying retire his jersey but welcome him back at least you know severson you know bring don't sever all ties forever and b do you think if these it's interesting because the lance doc i don't know if this was espn planned it i don't know if you guys were on board with this but the Lance Doc and you guys were pretty close, and it's kind of covering not the same thing, but there's different there's elements that obviously cross over with steroids. And Lance says in his documentary that he wishes he just kind of said it and, and right away admitted it, and that was it. Do you think if these guys admitted it right away or came clean right away, that they'd be welcomed into the Hall of Fame, or do you think there'd still be kind of this pushback and still be this you know exiling going on? And do you think the Cubs cannot? Do you think it's ridiculous that the Cubs have yet to bring Sosa back in? 
I mean, I always wonder what would happen if the stare, if, if instead of like just talking about supplements uh, in 98, if it had come out that anyone was using steroids and, you know, if that was, you know, if, if market said like, oh yeah, I'm, use, I'm using these because it's not against the rules, you know, there's no penalties, there's no testing, um, you know, how people would have taken it in the moment. Would people have... Um, you know, Ben upset would the basically the race be off? Would we have celebrated uh, 62? Would it have changed kind of our whole perspective on that on that season? Um, you know, as far as, as Sammy, you know, I, I I try to give the Cubs ownership the benefit of the doubt that maybe they looked at what happened when Mark was going back to coach with the Cardinals, so taking a job with the organization, not just you know coming back and waving to fans. Um, that, that he, you know, issued his statement about when he used and what he used. Um, and, and maybe the Cubs thought, okay, well, it makes sense that we think Sammy also used, even though the evidence is far less clear. Um, we think Sammy also used, so he should do the same thing that Mark did. Like he should also like come clean in kind of the same way. Um, that is my guess. I don't know that for sure, but you know, I think if that was their intention was to be like, okay, well, these guys did the same thing. So we'll, you know, we'll treat it the same way at this point. It just feels um, weird. I mean, it's just to have this fractured relationship between an all century player um, and this organization, there's nothing comparable in baseball to it. Uh, no other player is being held out like Sammy is. Uh, the current ownership were not the owners of the of the Cubs at any point when he was a player. So the sins that Sammy may have committed against the Cubs, particularly toward the end of his Cub playing days, that was different ownership. Um, I, I I would hope that you know. I mean, I just keep hoping that they're going to say like, look, when when baseball comes back to Wrigley after this. Um, you know, time when we've been shut down because of the pandemic and figuring out how to play again. When, when baseball comes back to Wrigley, we're going to welcome Sammy back. That just, that would seem to be a, a really great idea. I think the Cubs should do that. You might as well at this point. It's like, how much do we have to penalize a human being? Like, you know what? I'm like, all right, don't, I'm like, my mentality is don't put A-Rod in the Hall of Fame. Well, we already suspended him 211 games and completely cost him a shot at the home run record, which now we know that guys have lists, guys do this. I'm sure he wanted to break with 762, A-Rod. There's no doubt in my mind that that's in the back of his, or for the, maybe the forefront of his mind after he gets the ring in New York. You know? And do we have to penalize him more and more? Like, when is enough enough? We've dragged Sosa's name through the mud. You know, he's now, his 609 is tarnished. Everything he's really worked for, steroids or not, is kind of you know thrown to the wayside. Is it, it? It's too much. It's just too much for one human. Is he, he's still a person, you know. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's not as if there hasn't been a penalty for these guys, you know. I mean, if you do think that Sammy used, um, you know, if you're mad at him about the cork bat and leaving the park on the, his last day with the Cubs, I mean, he's suffered a penalty for sure. I mean, he's he's not been able to um, escape you know, that kind of framing around his career. And, and you know, that some of that's not going to go away just by the Cubs saying, you know what, you're a part of our history and, you know, we're going we're gonna to celebrate it. I mean, it's, they're still going to be part of it. I mean, the, look at Mark's second act as a coach being welcomed back to the, to the Cardinals. He was inducted into the A's Hall of Fame last year. Um, there's still people who will never, you know, be happy about what, you know, what he did or, or the fact that he, you know, his record they believe is, is, you know, inauthentic. So they're still playing, they're still paying a price. I, I don't think it needs to include uh, banishment uh, from Wrigley. Mm. Got a couple more questions for you, man. One sure. is, is the, this is a quick one and you could defer, you could plead the fifth if you want. <laughs> <laughs> is the, um, is the record, is it Bonds's slash McGuire slash Osha? Do you see it as broken or as a fan, is it still 61 to you? I think that we have to, you know, look at every era has its own issues. There've been very few times in baseball that have been totally righteous. Um, you know, I think that Bonds has the record. There was no, 
uh, at the time, no testing, no penalty, no agreement between players and owners to ban uh, steroids. Uh, I don't think a memo is enough. Um, so, you know, I, uh, oh, heck I think yeah. bonds, I'm preaching to the choir, bonds. man. Memos are not. You could tell my, you could tell Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, memos are not enough. You know what I'm saying? Those are not enough. No. <laughs> uh, so bonds is bonds is the uh, the home run king. But I will say, you know, if we now that baseball has testing in place, if we believe that we're in an era. Um, where the ball isn't like wound tight as a drum, you know, when the, you know, dimensions haven't been shrunk to half of what they are now. Yeah. You know, if we get into an era um, and somebody starts getting to 59, 60, you know, I'm super curious to see what happens. Yeah. And, it's going to be interesting. When someone gets to 62, what are, how are we going to treat that? Are we going to treat that as a big deal? Um, and, and as something that is noteworthy and we should celebrate or are we just going to say like you still got 11 more to go yeah yeah i mean if you hit the ball 62 times past 400 400 feet i'm gonna think it's a big deal i mean i think the the furthest ball i ever hit was over a 200 foot <laughs> softball field when i was like a sophomore in high school and i was like this is the biggest moment of my entire life i want to see the yeah. car facts <laughs> i want to see a replay on that man and a measuring tape I, 200 feet? I did it. I hit, well, I had a metal bat oh, or yeah, al yeah. aluminum bat. Yeah, it's not the same. It's not I the hit same. 70 <laughs> in the cage, and I was like, this is as good as this Jew from Long Island's going to do it, man. <laughs> I, uh, I, I read, AJ, that because you mentioned COVID, um, so you were, you were still working on the project after oh, the yeah, pandemic hit. I, I read that you, you took over like a lot of the roles <laughs> just by yourself because is that true? <laughs> Yeah, so my um, my editor uh, had to go on paternity leave in January. So I've edited some of my other films. Right. Uh, so I was I was like, okay, I can finish it. I'll just come in and I'll finish uh, the film. Uh, we found out in January that we were going to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival. They had seen an early cut of the film, but there was still a ton of work to do. Um, we were still getting music in. We were still getting archival in. Um, and so I was doing, you know, these like late nights, trying to get the film ready for Tribeca. Was, went to Chicago to work with my composer. And uh, while I was there, I heard that South by Southwest had been canceled. And I was like, well, this is either, you know, the, the beginning of everything shutting down or, or some, some weird, crazy overreaction uh, because... Austin can be nuts, obviously, during whoa, 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 whoa. You're easy, talking to... relax, relax. <laughs> easy, Two UT man. alums, no, no, <laughs> no, yeah, we do. We but you know what it's like. I mean, oh, it's yeah. like you're everyone's like uh, Sixth Street is a madhouse. I mean, I've premiered right. like uh, two films, I've shown three features at South by and premiered two. Oh, and hell yeah, uh, last time I was there was in 2013, and it's hard to move. And so I could understand, like, okay, if this is transmitted in that way. They don't want like the convention center to become like a crazy uh, petri dish, which, which right. they would have done. Six streets um, a shit show. I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I got a week later. Of course, we I think or five or six days later was when the NBA shut down, and so then it was clear like everything's going and Tribeca is going to go soon. So we actually because I'd been working so hard and the team had been working so hard, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna just going to take a break. I'll take two weeks and just, uh, you know, kind of walk away. And it's always good to do that. Anyway, the end of the two weeks, we were to premiere later this summer. Um, and you know, while we initially after Tribeca, we were going to have screenings around the country. Um, it was pretty clear that none people weren't going to be doing any screenings. Um, but anyway, ESPN called me about at the end of the two weeks and said, we're going to move the last dance to April. And, uh, we want to follow it up with these three films. Um, so yeah, we would have actually premiered before Lance originally. Right. I think Lance was supposed to air like in October or November and we were, I think, going to be timed to potentially timed to around September when the race was, uh, was supposed to, when the anniversary of the breaking of the home run record was. Um, so then it became all hands on deck, but nobody could be in the room with me. So, uh, i was finishing the editing, finished with my own assistant editor. Um, had to learn like all of this, like these 
new ways of sharing screens and technologies to work with my colorist and my sound mixer and my producers. And well, you actually probably saw McGuire hit a million home runs. Then, yes. Didn't you? <laughs> now you can, you can speak to Toss as like wish. Like I can watch this guy hit home runs all day. And he's like, no, you have uh, no, no There were idea. so many times when I actually like uh, would realize because I was, we were still getting in the archival. And so I'd get like all these sports centers um, and I'd be like, okay, I'm looking for a specific thing that's going to tell a piece of this story. And then I, I would realize that I'd basically spent an hour just watching Sports Center for <laughs> 1998. I was so like down my own rabbit hole and like excited about like you know pretending that I'm watching live sports. That uh, yeah, it was kind of lost my mind probably. But um, but yeah, we we did it. We finished like two or three days before uh, the, the movie aired. So um, yeah, are you taking a break? <laughs> well, are you taking a break now? Right, you're chilling a bit. Yeah. Today is kind of the last day when it's really hot and heavy for that. And yeah, then I'm going to, I'm just going to rest and, and to try to try to get my, myself back. Oh, nice. Two, You're going out uh, with a bang with us. Love it. <laughs> two, two quick hitters here that I think sure. will be good perspective for anyone who doesn't mm -hmm. know much about documentary filmmaking. When did you, when did the idea get conceived? Like, give me the timeline just how long you've been working on this project um, in total? Well, um, I, I don't even know how long ago it was that the ESPN folks asked me to pitch them on something, um, but I pitched them in spring 2017 on an idea that I had. We talked about it for a little while and, and then just kind of, I think we just figured out it would be so expensive to do it in terms of the rights involved that we just were kind of like, yeah, that's, that that won't work but um they're like well what anything else do you have any other ideas and, and that's why i just i just sort of mentioned the, the home run race um and just said like i'm assuming there's a reason why you haven't done it um so yeah that was in i remember that was called was probably exactly three years ago um when we had the call and i first brought it up uh so yeah it was a three-year process um which I feel like is about average. I've made films that took five years, um, kind of from the beginning to when it actually gets out into the world. I think the fastest ever was was like two. Um, so three's three's not too bad, but in the middle of it, it can certainly feel like it's just glacial. Yeah. So, well. I think I can speak for both of us in saying that you did a phenomenal job. So oh, thank you. Yeah, if yeah. you had a dating profile, patience should be the first thing listed for you, man. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Three years and like, yeah. do, you, do you can you you just did you just roll up to ESPN or you guys you had some dollars? Obviously, the Cobain and, and, and you know in the in the caucus film, that had some success. So did they know who you are? They kind of had an idea of who you were, or did you kind of just like, hey, this is an idea I got. Yeah, no, they, I mean, we knew each other. Um, I got to know them a, a little bit more kind of when they were out and about on uh, with the OJ film. Um, and then I had a short uh, at Sundance in a short doc in 2016. And in my program, there was also an ESPN 30 for 30 short, an animated short, a really good one. Um, and uh, all the ESPN folks were at that premiere where I was also premiering mine in the same program. So I think that was probably the moment when we they were first like, oh, we loved it. You know, you should come and like pitch pitch us something when you're ready, when you have an idea. So it was a full year. It was a full year before I actually um, did it, but uh, it was definitely, uh, um, you know, they, they were nice enough to uh, encourage me to, to, to come by. Oh, and they're a great team. Yeah. I should say like that's, they're like, um, the way they work, uh, I, you know, having not worked with them before, um, they really give you like so much support, but then really make, let you make the movie that you've all agreed you want to make. Trust um, you. I think they trust you. They, yeah, yeah. They trust you. And, 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 you know, I think if I had diverged wildly, they probably would have pulled me back, but, um, it was, it was great to work with a team that, was as supportive and um i mean they gave, they gave notes they gave great notes um but it wasn't the, i've heard some real horror stories with other networks and platforms and and they were just great yeah and there's a reason that you know they're the biggest 
sports network in the world. And, you know, I mean, the most important yeah. thing for arts and crafts is trust, man. They gotta, like, you gotta trust, you gotta trust the person growing the baby. You just have to. Yeah. You can't be too yeah. hands-on because there's too many people talking. But that's sick that they saw your other film at a festival and kind of, like, you basically hit a backflip on the dance floor in front of the cool kids. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's <Yeah. laughs> That's great, man. Uh, were you nervous? Were you nervous about making? Because, like, it's so it's just so different. I mean, I don't know, because you know it. You know the topic. Was there, like, a level of nervousness because maybe the guests are really high profile or it's different, you know, and it's going to be on ESPN or you kind of trusted yourself? I mean, the, we did some interviews. I mean, we didn't interview Mark and, and Sammy first. We did other yeah. interviews yeah. first. So I think that there was, I wouldn't say nervousness, but there were definitely some interviews where I was, I knew that how that interview went would get back to them. Um, so, you know, you, you went into some interviews where you're just like, uh, you know, don't screw this one up because this is, this is, they're going to hear if we've they, been there. If they, yeah. If they think that your, you know, your intentions are not what you said they were, or, uh, you know, that you're just, you don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah. Uh, Speaking of interviews, uh, I, you, you open the, the first interview you open with is, Todd McFarlane and I'm <laughs> that was just so wild I'm like Spawn what what's going on here that's I, I think part of that and you, you know you touched on it a little bit but something that I didn't necessarily know that much about and part of this is because there's so much history in baseball is that baseball paraphernalia goes for so much in these auctions it's crazy it's it's ridiculous I mean are you growing up as a baseball fan were you seeking out you know just baseball paraphernalia or, or anything like that is that something you did no i you know i just thought that todd it was a great way to to show how cool big how big the, the year got you know because it's like as soon as you say you know, that he paid three million dollars for a baseball yeah um, which looks like every other baseball in the world <laughs> that's been hit you know i mean there's nothing special about that ball except that it you know, left McGuire's bat and, and some fan got it in, in a box. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the fact that it went for 3 million to me was just such a great way to, to tell, uh, telegraph to the audience up front, like this was bigger than you remember, or it was, um, it was so huge that that, that this, that was a, a reasonable thing that, that someone thought they were doing was to spend $3 million for that ball. Um, but I just, you know, it was funny. I loved how he talked about the home run and how, you so know, it's serious about it. He really, yeah. And how, how it's different than anything in any other sport. And it, was, it just felt like a great, great way to start, start the whole movie. You sent me yeah. down as soon as we left him, I was like, we're starting with that. Yeah. You sent me down a rabbit it. hole of like, I was like, dang, what's this guy's net worth? I went on Google right after that. That was like one of the first things <laughs> I Googled after the show. I'm like, what's this guy's net worth? What's he said? Oh man, I should have paid more attention in art. Uh, and he, I, I was on the phone with Tony Dalk. If you remember him, played Kentucky basketball. Uh, great in the 90s for them. I was on the phone. He un I didn't even tell him we had this this afternoon. And he was like, can you believe that guy paid $3 million? Everyone else on the phone was like, dude, what are you talking? Oh, yeah, that was wild. I can't believe he did that. He was shocked that someone yeah. did that. He's like, and man, I looked at his net worth, and that was nothing. I'm like, dude, I did the same thing. It was crazy. That was a really good <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he was trying to get into – he was trying to get into – sports action figures at the time and nobody mm -hmm. was really taking him seriously because he's the spawn guy and uh you know when he bought the balls he was able to get the meetings he wanted at the leagues and he ended up getting those contracts so i think probably he was uh you know he he was repaid more than one time for what he invested in the balls with what he was able to make uh, creating sports action figures yeah. i think it's I, you know you, you bring up the like people forget when when pitchers are pitching every 10 pitches a lot of times that ball's gone right and it's never seen ever again Change i mean it's not like fans, yeah. it's not like the little leagues where you're playing with that same ball the entire time or you're playing with three or four balls right like that ball could have been who knows what if that the the groundskeeper guy had just swapped it put it in his pocket and he still has it today. Like anthony rizzo yeah, that exactly. thing like no, that, I, that, I, thing. that was amazing him him giving it back to mcguire that was really that's good touching angle, man yeah good angle uh, you did a good I, job. Yeah, did a good job. We said that already. but we appreciated it. Um, uh, two more, and then we'll let you rock and roll, brother. Um, cool. We always ask people that. Well, first, before we get to the last question, we always ask people: You're a documentarian, and outside of your films, 
Um, we have our five. We'll tell you then. We won't go into great detail, but we want to hear your five favorite documentaries of all time. Doesn't have to be sports. Could be one of mine, not sports, just so everyone knows. Doesn't have to be sports. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard because I, uh, I, I... Do you watch a lot? Like I do, yeah. But, oh, cool. you know, I, one of the great things about the documentary world is um, although we've lost some in the, the last few years, um, you know, I, I made my first doc in uh, 2002, premiered at, at South by, and, and um, the first day I went to a breakfast and I was sitting next uh, to Albert Maisels, one of the great um, verite filmmakers of all time. He and his brother David, the Maisels brothers, made great gardens and salesmen. So salesman is one of my five um, you know, got to know D.A. Pennybaker pretty well. Penny um, made some of the most incredible music documentaries like Bob Dylan's Don't Look Back, and um, that's one of my five. Um, Steve James, uh, who made Hoop Dreams, an incredible uh, film. Um, that that's would on be my, that's one on of my, my list, too. Yeah, one of my five. Um, Godfrey Reggio made this incredible, for his debut, he made this kind of experimental masterpiece, Quayana Scotsi. Um, that's been really influential uh, to me. What, so, that, what did um, that cover? That is just, it's Quayana Scotsi, you've got to watch it, man. It is, uh, it's a Philip Glass score, and it is, uh, it is just like an hour and a half of visuals. And it's all just about how everything is on earth is out of balance. Mm -hmm. um, and it was made in uh, sometime in the 80s. I saw it in my friend's basement. And, and people might have been smoking some weed. Um, but it's, I was uh, about it's to say, I'm going to have to go back to Los Angeles to watch that one. <laughs> it's that, it's that kind of... Kill the blinds everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's that kind of a, of a film. Um, and then Barbara Koppel's... Mm -hmm. uh, Harlan County, uh, USA. I just think that's a, a great example of someone tackling a, an issue, but doing so by by being not just having, you know, uh, you know, a, a kind of a didactic point of view, but actually being amongst people and seeing what's really happening as she's covering a, a, a coal miner strike in in West Virginia. So um, there's there's five. I could go. I could name twenty, but those there's five. No, it's great, man. We're gonna watch. I've, I haven't seen a few of those, so now I'm gonna watch them. If I'm taking documentary advice from the mailman, I'm gonna have to listen to the pro and go and go delve into it. Toss, you want to give your five so AJ's not alone. I'll give mine after that. Sure. Um, I also have. I'm a. I'm a. Ba I'm a basketball fan first and foremost. Hoop Dreams is is on there for me. I realized in like reflection on on thinking on this question that. A lot of the documentaries that I've seen have to do with either climbing or extreme sports. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know why, but they just do. Meru um, is one that is phenomenal. Um, I also had Free Solo on there, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna cancel. I think I like Meru better than I like Free Solo, but I think Free Solo is a just gives incredible insight into, again, like mental health and just like. His, amyg his amygdala is completely shot. And you almost, basically just you almost threw up during that. We watched that together. You almost threw up. He almost yacked. So did I. I was like, Jesus. I, that's, a, that is a that's, a tough, that's a tough film to watch. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I empathize completely with his girlfriend in those scenes where he's like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll see you tomorrow or whatever. And she's like, you might not come back. That stuff is it's crazy. Um, yeah. McConkie, which is about Shane McConkie. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that one. I haven't. That's a good one. Um it's a tragic story. Um, and then spoiler alert, the best, well, <laughs> the, the best, I mean, a, a documentary that's tragic, you're yeah, going to know it's tragic know. at the beginning, right? Yeah. Um, the best that never was the, the Marcus Dupree doc is one of Josh and mine's my, our favorite. Um, and then I recently watched going clear, which is the Scientology documentary. Yeah. I, I, part of that is it's, it was so informative on a subject I knew nothing about. Um, and just what went on in that, organization i'm not even gonna call it a religion was absolutely ridiculous Ooh, um, damn getting political on tcs nice no i just, i mean i mean that's the angle of the documentary but just kind of it's it's pretty crazy it's eye-opening so yeah. that's that's the cool thing about documentaries right you get you get to to learn about things that you might not know that much about putting the shoes yeah, kind of exactly uh free solo super size me used to be a fat kid um, I was just hungry after that movie, but it was still really cool. Uh, Doc and Daryl, because that was wild to me. That was, I was talking to somebody the other day, like, damn, I 
I'm like, yeah, Doc and Daryl, man. That guy was smoking crack, and someone was like, I thought he was smoking meth. I'm like, once you're smoking crack, you're smoking meth, man. That's there. That's a slippery <laughs> slope. That one was bonkers. More than a game. I'm a huge LeBron guy. I always have been. And I'm a Celtics guy, so without bias, that was great for me too. Um, those are our docs. We'll throw that. We'll make a little. We'll make some, Nick, our other guy Nick, who couldn't come tonight because he had to take care of some family stuff. Uh, he, the four of us, will throw that. We'll make a cute little graphic. It'll look nice. Um, you don't have to put it on the mantle, but it'll be cool. The uh, and then last, the, we always ask everybody this: AJ, what's your favorite sports memory? Could be from you playing, watching, reporting, anything, man. Uh, well, I don't know if it's it's exactly my favorite. I'll, I'll give you two. One one that is is crazy is that I was at the the Cardinals Dodgers game when Fernando Tatis hit uh, two grand slams in the same inning. Um, <laughs> so that was incredible. Um, a because it was such. An, I mean, you have to. You, you can imagine what an insane inning it was. <laughs> Dude, that's ridiculous. Um, just to to see it. Um, but the uh, the whole aspect of. Uh, you know, when he came back up to bat and he's coming up to bat and then the bases are loaded and you're just like, you just had this feeling like he was going to do it again. <laughs> was and that the second was, time in the, nuts. in the second at bat in the inning or the third, second, his second at bat in the inning. Yeah. He, uh, he hit the, the second grand slam. So that was, that was pretty nuts. Um, I've been at some, I'm a big blues fan again, being from St. Louis. So been at some uh, playoff games when they've they've won a series and and uh, obviously with them winning the cup last year was pretty special but the the wildest uh, sports memory i think probably that i ever had i was in college when uh mizzou was playing uh, colorado and colorado got five downs uh colorado was ranked number one in the country um and they were behind and the time was ticking out ticking down the clock was running out uh, and the refs gave them a fifth down uh, when they should have had to turn the ball over, which would that. have allowed, which would have allowed Mizzou to dethrone. Mizzou had always been terrible. Would have allowed Mizzou to uh, dethrone the number one team in the ranked team in the country. Um, and but the refs gave uh, Colorado another down. They were able to get a first down and score uh, and won that game. But in the stadium, everyone is screaming at the refs you know, that it's fifth down. Um, and it somehow, like, it just, the game kept playing. And I thought there was going to be a riot uh, when when Colorado won that game. Um, it had national title implications in the end, too. It was in 1990. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an insane. I think you found your next documentary. I was right? about that's, to say, Taz, I don't want to percent. I don't want to percent. You got it. But we're, we're the idea is planted right then and there. <laughs> you heard yeah. it here first. Um, but yeah, man, two quick things on that, actually. Uh, first of all, if that happened in Texas, riots. Like, full on. I want you to know that. In Texas football, yeah. if you've never been to a game, people will be I would ride in the streets I would have burned something if, if, back in college that's just who I was I'll admit it I'm mad enough to the Fernando Tatis it's like everyone's favorite trivia like who hit two grand slams in the inning and if you know baseball you know that I was at a I was at a restaurant one time I was getting quick food and I was listening I was listening to like uh, I was re-listening to one of our shows just to like getting it you know just to learn right and he goes oh what do you listen to I'm like oh, I run a sports podcast and you know I'm listening to it and he's like oh cool do you, know, you like baseball I'm like yeah I love baseball he goes all right uh, I have a trivia question like trivia I'm like yeah I love trivia he goes all right cool if you get this right I'll give you lunch on the house he goes, who hit two grand slams in the same inning? I'm like, dude, just give me the sandwich. It's like, <laughs> I to, come on, I'm not doing this. Come on, man. You, know, you can't come out. Uh, AJ, thank you, man. Thank you, thank of course, you, thank guys. you. We had a great time. Yeah, my uh, pleasure. Congratulations on an amazing doc. Go get some rest, man. Seriously, all right? Relax. Oh, well, you, you, you've earned, yeah, have Yeah, have a pina colada. <laughs> throw some sand on the ground. Pretend you're at the beach. Or you're in Los Angeles, so just go, honestly. Yeah. Uh, it's not that crowded. We've been... Um, but thank you, man. We appreciate you. Of course. My, my pleasure. All right, man. Take care, brother. All right. Take care. Bye. Told you. Great one. Really cool. Love documentaries. Been on documentary Spari lately, and this was an awesome one to, to be a part of, and great to hear his insight on making the documentary and how he felt on all things steroids, all things involving McGuire and Sosa, and just about the era in general. Really, really cool to hear the documentarian talk about it after just watching it on Sunday. Um, yeah, and as always, we're brought to you by we're brought to you by we're brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code MyPod100. The match your deposit up to a thousand dollars. It's a no-brainer. 
go make some money. We're not going to beg you. It's just friendly advice. Some also friendly advice to you guys. Drag both feet in bounds, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they're free, and hit your free throws. Why? Because they are free. We out you. We love you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.